Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. On today's show, Sigrid Nunez on her latest novel, The Vulnerables. Sigrid Nunez is the author of the novels A Feather on the Breath of God, The Last of Her Kind, The Friend, and What Are You Going Through, among others. She is also the author of Sempre Susan, a memoir of Susan Sontag. She has been the recipient of several awards, including the National Book Award, the Rome Prize in Literature, and a Guggenheim. Her books have been translated into 30 languages. And Sigrid's latest book, The Vulnerables, was just described in his 2024 preview by Alex Preston, a previous guest of the show, as the first great lockdown novel. And so in honour of that, in this week of recording, I've only gone and contracted COVID myself. So um, hopefully, hopefully we're going to struggle through this. Okay, Sigrid, welcome to Little Atoms. Very happy to be here. Thank you. So I have told you how someone else has described the novel. But first of all, tell us how you would describe this novel. Well, I would not describe it as a pandemic novel, as some people have been doing. I suppose it is It is a more of a lockdown novel. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't really, I describe it partly as being the third volume of an unofficial trilogy uh, that I've written, in which there's a there's a, a narrator who is a, an older woman who is a writer and teaches writing and lives alone in New York and um, has these various encounters with people and, and becomes involved in their lives. And in, in this particular, uh, in, the, in the vulnerables, uh, because it does take place during lockdown, she gets herself into a situation which was familiar to a lot of people during lockdown all over the world. They ended up being locked down with people that they weren't prepared to be locked down with. And she is, um, she ends up bird sitting for people who've gotten stranded on the, on the West Coast. They have this parrot that needs care. And then she also ends up sharing an apartment with a, with a very young man who had been taking care of the parrot before, but then had left and now has come back. So you have these three beings trying to get along in this ex- exceptionally surreal moment that the lockdown was for all of us. 
So that description you just gave there of the narrator may sound a little familiar. So if I may just uh, paraphrase something you say in the book, which is uh, quoting a translator of Proust who says, is this autobiography wearing a thin disguise of fiction or the opposite, fiction in the guise of autobiography? So to what extent are you represented in this character? Well, I think of this book and like other books of mine, it's a hybrid book which is to say that it's part fiction and part nonfiction. And actually, the divide is quite clear for me, because what it is is that the narrator is someone who is very identified with the author, same gender, same age, same residence, New York City, uh, same profession. And so when, when the narrator is, is thinking, is reflecting on things, is observing things, is talking about things that she's read and how she feels about this or that, including lockdown and the pandemic, that is really also the author speaking. Those are my thoughts. I wouldn't, I wouldn't attribute thoughts that I don't or didn't have to this narrator who is so identified with me. But then there's also a story. Things happen. There's this situation I just mentioned that she gets herself into taking care of the parrot and ending up sharing quarters with this very young man, a funeral that she goes to, uh, certain things that she remembers about her past. And in those cases, that is fiction. That, that is all invented material. So that's why I say, I say hybrid. So some of it is indeed autobiographical, memoir-like, essayistic, nonfiction, and the rest is pure invention. I want to talk about some of the other characters. And first of all, I should say all of the characters, um, or most of the main characters, are, are named after flowers in the novel. One of those, Lily, is the person whose funeral the narrator has just been, you've just been talking about. This character is obviously dead at the start of the novel and is not really significant in the plot as such, but she's such a vivid character. So I just wanted you to tell us something about Lily, first of all, before we talk about some of the actual characters in the plot. Well, for the funeral, a group of women have gathered, among others, but these are women who met when they were in uh, in college, when they were undergraduates. And Lily was one of them. Uh, in fact, it, it's significant to them to observe that she was the first of them to die because they are all around 70. So they are talking about what her life was like back as, a, as an undergraduate. And she was a a person who had a lot of problems. In fact, she even makes an attempt to take her own life at one point, as they recall. You know, had a, had a difficult childhood and was just a really, really troubled young woman, but also very appealing and certainly appealing to the maternal sides of these other women who were, were at times infuriated with her, but also very caring. She was an affectionate young woman. And at one point, she um, she is taken on by uh, an older an older man who who starts his own kind of drug therapy with her, and it works. It really that was his goal, and it, it works. It it helps. He he encourages her to take gives her certain amounts of psychedelics and encourages her to talk. So it's a talk and drug therapy that really does change her. And enables her to pull herself together, and then she goes on to have a to have a, a successful life uh, and to have a family. Uh, but one of the other thing about her is that she's she's promiscuous. She's uh, she's happily married, but she has always also wanted to have lovers, and she has done that. And so the, all of this is talked about by them while they're while they're in this town at the same staying in the same inn 
which they've come to for the funeral. So you mentioned the situation that the narrator finds herself in, which is she's she basically volunteers to bird sit for the parrot of somebody that has been stranded on the West Coast because of the pandemic. So tell us something about what appeals to the narrator about this flat sitting situation. Well, she agrees to it because I believe the way she expresses it is that it's a, you know, it's it's a godsend, actually, because there she is in a very small apartment, her usual apartment, locked down. And first, she's, she likes the idea that she's being asked just to go and uh, spend time with the bird. It's within walking distance of where she lives. Macaws, that's the kind of parrot it is, need a lot of attention. So she gets her instructions. She goes there every day. So she has a reason. She has something to do. She has a reason to take a walk and go and uh, take care of this bird and sit with it for a while and play with it. She, it's very important to play with it, the owners tell her. And she's really enjoying it. And then what happens is that um, she ends up giving her apartment to a doctor who has come from the West Coast as a volunteer because many hands were needed here in New York in the epicenter of the pandemic. And so then she moves in with the bird. And then she's even happier because, for, among other things, it's an extremely comfortable, beautiful apartment. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. Plus, she gets to hang out with this bird. She's not so alone. And she knows it's not going to last forever. So it's, a, it's really quite a comfortable situation for her. Which is why she's she's uh, she's put out when this uh, when this young man shows up. So tell us something about Vetch. Then he is the the character. Um, he's dropped out of college. He is supposed to be bird sitting originally, and then has left. But then unexpectedly comes back. So what effect does cohabiting with him have on the narrator? Well, at at first, uh, she's really disturbed. I mean, for one thing, she's she's very irritated about the fact she thinks he's totally irresponsible because he said he was taking care of the bird while the owners of the bird were on the West Coast for an event, for an anniversary party. Then they couldn't fly back because of the lockdown. So he was there, but then he, he, uh, all the schools closed, his college closed. So he decided he didn't want to be there anymore. He wanted to be home in Vermont with his parents. So he takes off. So she thought that was very irresponsible. And now he's back because things weren't going well in Vermont with his parents. And he happened to still have a key. So he just lets himself in. And then there he is. And as a friend of hers says to the narrator, well, don't be so territorial. It's a very big apartment. This is an emergency situation. A lot of people are are having to make all kinds of adjustments to normal life. You know, you can stay out of each other's way. And so, you know, she does. I mean, they do. But as it happens, they end up getting close. I mean, among other things, he, uh, he is somebody who has had a lot of troubles himself. In fact, he's spent some time uh, on a psychiatric ward a whole summer, not that long before. He has an eating disorder. He had an eating disorder. He is extremely he's unhappy uh, with his parents, who have really actually thrown him out at this point. He doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. He was unhappy in school. That's why he's dropped out. So again, he's he's a troubled person. He's also He also turns out to be extremely generous and kind. Part of that kindness comes from having been a psychiatric patient and understanding how to deal with people who are depressed. And uh, she becomes increasingly depressed. 
And he is extremely delicate about helping her, but he does help her. And one of the ways he helps her is by leaving her an edible for the first time and then encouraging her to hang out with him and talk. And it, it really does help her enormously. And uh, she becomes, you know, extremely fond of him. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Sigrid Nunez and we're talking about her new novel, The Vulnerables. And Sigrid, I wanted to talk about your recollections of the of the pandemic there. I mean, obviously I appreciate the irony of the pandemic has not gone away and I am literally still in the grip of it right now. But tell us something about what you recall about those early days of the lockdown in New York in particular. Well, it was that incredibly surreal element. You know, I mean, I was on my way, I, I was supposed to be going on a German book tour, and it was all set. I was leaving on March 4th, a Sunday night, and then all that suddenly vanished. And, you know, a lot of us were tuned in to Governor Cuomo every day, learning from him all the new rules. I, I mean, it did feel extremely surreal, I have to say you know, like, can this actually be happening? I was also very struck by the fact how good New Yorkers were. I mean, they really did. They really did do what they were told would be best. And, but the, for me, I mean, and I I feel even, uh, you know, I felt guilty then, I feel guilty now also, because there were things that were very wonderful about the lockdown, which is that it would never happen again. It hadn't happened before. You'd never see the city in this way. So calm, so quiet. 
so peaceful, so clean, so safe. And, you know, for the first time, you could actually, the parks were very well taken care of. It was a beautiful spring, and there were just wonderful, you know, series of different blossomings that you could enjoy. You could hear birdsong the way you never you never had before in places that you used not to hear birdsong. And then, you know, uh, compared to uh, how chaotic it was for other people, for example, some people who had children home all the time, which was not their, their normal life, and, you know, were really struggling to do their, their jobs and have their children be online in school and all these things. You know, I didn't, I didn't have any of that. So I felt that a very privileged situation that I only had to take care of myself and I was in a very safe place. Uh, I wasn't one of the healthcare workers or essential workers who uh, could not avoid being exposed to COVID. So, you know, it, and then also as a writer, you know, I am somebody who does, well, first of all, I, I, I live alone. And, you know, and so I was used to that. And I am somebody who, you know, as a writer does spend a, a lot of time in one place writing. I wasn't able to write, as a matter of fact, right away, but eventually I was. So I certainly, you know, I mean, it was certainly difficult. It was for everybody, but it was nowhere near as difficult for me as it was for other people, except if you want to count the fact that as an older person, uh, I was constantly being warned that I was more vulnerable to COVID and more vulnerable to becoming seriously ill if I became infected and possibly dying. That was something that I, I had to give thought to. Yeah, I wanted to talk later on about the title of the novel. There's a point in the novel where the narrator is told by one of her friends that she's vulnerable and she really should start acting more like it. Tell me about that part. Well, that came, you know, that came right out of something very specific, which was that right at the beginning when they were talking, it was, I guess this was like before the lockdown, right before the lockdown, we were being told, okay, it's out there you know, this was even before people understood about masks, but they were saying older people and people with compromised immune systems, be more careful out there. You just, you know, avoid crowds, change plans, don't go to parties, whatever it might be. This was before, as I say, that became, you know, advice for everyone. Okay. Well, not advice. I mean, rules for everyone. And I remember that at that time, a lot of younger people were very frustrated by their parents and their grandparents because they weren't paying attention. They were they were they were saying, "Oh, we're still going to go on that cruise." Well, I'm not going to worry about that. I mean, and that went on for a little while, but it got a lot of attention. I remember even reading about it in the New York Times. Please tell your parents and your grandparents that they are vulnerable and that they have to be you know they can't just do what they want and then people tried to figure out well why are older people behaving this way and then some people said was well well you know they were, they went through the aids crisis they've seen other things they're not they they don't scare easy whatever i don't know if i believe that all, all i know is that i remember at that time that frustration that people had and how that word vulnerable kept coming up you've got to you've got to treat yourself like a vulnerable you, you, you maybe, maybe they can go to the party, but you should not go to the party. If you're over 65 or 70 or whatever it was, you should not be going to that party or getting on that train or plane or whatever. You've written before about a, a flu epidemic. So um, why did you want to write this novel? 
Well, it's it's very interesting because that book, yeah, that novel called Salvation City, which came out in in 2010, you know, was was a much different kind of book, a, a much more traditional novel about the, you know, a, a novel that sought to answer the question, what if there were to be a global pandemic, you know, in in America, in this polarized society with this dysfunctional, all kinds of dysfunction plus dysfunctional health care system, what would it be like? And so it wasn't like a dystopian novel or a futuristic novel. It was really just like, what if it happened like right now? And I wanted to write a story about that. Because at that time, I mean, I, I knew who Dr. Fauci was. I had I had read things that Dr. Fauci had said, and I knew that the the fact was that scientists were saying it, it's not a it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. So I thought, you know, this will probably happen in my lifetime. And so I wrote the book. Now, with the pandemic, which is, I'm saying I think of it more as a lockdown novel, if anything, I didn't think about how I was going to write it. The point is that I wanted to start writing about something that was happening right now, because that's how the book started. I wrote, it was an uncertain spring. I was talking about, you know, I was quoting Virginia Woolf. I was talking about this spring. And, you know, as as Michael Cunningham was has said, how can you write about what's happening right now? How can you write a novel about life now without writing about the pandemic and the lockdown? It just wasn't possible. So that's really that, you know, that's what why I did that. Not because I thought, oh, I think a lockdown novel would be interesting. It was really just about life as we're living it now. So in your previous novel, which I haven't read, I have to admit, I just was aware that it existed. Um, To what extent did you (laughs) predict that America would go crazy in the way that it did in terms of like Dr. Fauci and vaccinations and masking and the lockdown, etc.? Well, a lot of it is there. A lot lot of it is there. It turns out that a lot of it was indeed predictable. It's really kind of shocking. Yeah. You know, and then then I wrote about the elbow bump, um, but I didn't invent the elbow bump. Uh, That was something that that I had read about. I I, I forget, there was some kind of gathering of of healthcare workers somewhere where it was suggested, and this was well before the the pandemic, that shaking hands was was problematic. And that why perhaps we could get people to do this thing called the elbow bump. And so I, I put that in the novel. Uh, the business with masks and hand sanitizers and, um, you know, and, and, and people dying and children ending up orphaned and so on. The, I think the, the one thing that really struck me, though, was that, as we remember, uh, Trump, our president at the time, came down with COVID. And I remember when I was writing the book, I wanted to have the president of the United States be one of the people who, who got the flu. But in my book, the president is a woman. Because I guess I, it was it was in my mind that well you know this book is taking place now but in the near future and in the near future who's to say we couldn't we, we're not going to have a, a President Clinton you know as I say this was long before she was she was running but that I just that I just thought that was just you know a, a, a funny thing that that would be the one thing that yes the president did get the flu but it did get you know with a pandemic illness but it was not a woman. You mentioned that the book starts quoting Virginia Woolf, and indeed it pretty much ends with Virginia Woolf as well. 
I had absolutely no idea. She wrote a story about a woman and a parrot. Is that actually true? Oh yes, yes. This is the, there was it was one of these you know serendipitous things. I um I had come to that point in the book, which is very close to the end, and I was I was walking around my apartment, and I looked at the bookshelf, and there's these Virginia Woolf books, and I see this one that's so thin. I think, well, what is that? And I pull it out, and I had forgotten all about it. One of my former students had sent me this book as a gift, and it was uh, this book about a, a parrot that she wrote as a children's book, a children's story. I mean, it, and, and she'd written it for her nephew's uh, family newsletter. And so I, you know, that's what I mean about, you know, what's autobiographical in the book. Then I wrote in my novel, I had forgotten that Virginia Woolf wrote a book about a parrot. This is exactly what happened, what really happened. Yeah. And I just want to just finish off with a couple of a couple of short things. In the in the novel, there is a an incredible scene in a park wherein the narrator encounters a woman in red with a with a moleskin. Just tell us where this came from. That is came purely out of my imagination. Uh I was during the lockdown, I was doing a lot of walking and stopping in parks. And that one, which I had in my head, is the uh, Madison Square Park. And um, I, it just it just came to me. I would often end up there partly because they have beautiful, beautiful flowers there, including these extraordinary hydrangeas. And it just, at that point in the book, I was, you know, I was just thinking, well, what what should I write next? What what would fit here? What would be interesting here? And so I imagined this scene of the narrator coming upon this this other, finding that notebook, and then thinking what this woman would be like. That's all. But that is that is a completely invented uh, chapter. Okay, then one more thing, and then I'm going to ask you to read a bit for as if you would. And obviously, people listening to this will have not read the novel yet so they are going to think i've lost my mind because of the covid but sigrid if you could ask a dog one question what would it be <laughs> i say as my narrator said that i would ask if i can ask you one question why can't i ask you another question it's like why can i only have three wishes <laughs> yes because my idea is that if you could ask i mean i was so charmed by Something that someone told me where um, her third graders, uh, she asked them, if you could ask a dog one question, what would you ask? And one of the one of the little boys said, I would ask, when I grow up, what will I be? And I just found that so charming. Um, But my idea is that if you if you're asking a dog a question and then you imagine an an answer. I mean, it it doesn't make sense because it's it's not a it's not really a canine mind. You're attributing a a um a human mind to the animal when you pose that question if, if, if you if you understand what you're saying indeed indeed okay <laughs> to finish this off then can i get you to read us a bit yes thank you for asking so i am reading right from the beginning of the vulnerables it was an uncertain spring i had read the book a long time ago and except for this sentence I remembered almost nothing about it. I could not have told you about the people who appeared in the book or what happened to them. I could not have told you, until later, after I'd looked it up, that the book began in the year 1880. 
not that it mattered. Only when I was young did I believe that it was important to remember what happened in every novel I read. Now I know the truth. What matters is what you experience while reading, the states of feeling that the story evokes, the questions that rise to your mind rather than the fictional events described. They should teach you this in school, but they don't. Always instead, the emphasis is on what you remembered. Otherwise, how could you write a critique? How could you pass an exam? How could you ever get a degree in literature? I like the novelist who confessed that the only thing to have stayed with him after reading Anna Karenina was the detail of a picnic basket holding a jar of honey. What stayed with me all this time after reading The Years was how it opened with that first sentence followed by a description of the weather. Never open a book with the weather is one of the first rules of writing. I have never understood why not. Implacable November weather is the third sentence of Bleak House, after which Dickens famously goes on a lot about fog. It was a dark and stormy night. I have never understood why this phrase has been universally acknowledged to be the worst way for, I forget who, something else to look up, to begin a novel. Scorned for being both unexciting and, at the same time, too melodramatic. Edward Bulwer-Lytton, originally, in a book called Paul Clifford, in 1830. Others thereafter, in mockery, most memorably, Ray Bradbury, Madeline Lengel, and Snoopy. Unimaginative was the word Oscar Wilde used to describe people for whom weather is a topic of conversation. Of course, in his day, weather, English weather in particular, was boring. Not the far more erratic, often apocalyptic event people all over the world obsess about today. Important to point out, however, that it wasn't normal fog, condensed vapor, a low cloud, that Dickens was talking about, but a miasma caused by London's appalling industrial pollution. So I've been talking to Sigrid Nunes. We've been talking about her latest novel, The Vulnerables, which is out now in the UK from Virago. Sigrid, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me about it. Thank you for having me. This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by Acast and published by 89up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. 
Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.